This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. You're listening to The Assist with Trevor Hart. All right, welcome back. So, um, first week of NBA of the NBA season is over. Uh, we only have one undefeated team left standing, the Milwaukee Bucks, which is surprising, to be honest, because I know they won a couple years ago, but no Chris Middleton is huge for them. Um, they don't have Pat Connaughton, which I know isn't that big of a deal, but, I mean, he's was part of that championship team. So, them missing guys... And still being able to start out 4-0 is impressive, especially the teams they've played. They've played, like, Boston, uh, Philadelphia, even though the Sixers are 1-3, I think. So, um, yeah. I don't know what it is with them. With them. But um, to a team that's been surprising, the Utah Jazz, a team that a lot of people expected to just going to say it suck. Because we thought it was going to be the same blueprint that Danny Ainge did in Boston. He becomes a new GM of Utah. He trades Rudy Gobert for a million picks and young players. Then he trades Donovan Mitchell for young players. And so, right, okay, this is what he did when he first started out in Boston. Well, not when he first started, but he did this in Boston once. Because, you know, the whole Nets thing, Billy King giving up a million picks that end up being like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, all these guys. And, um, but that one you're banking on those teams being awful. Like, Donovan Mitchell going to the Cavs made them better. And Rudy Gobert going to the Timberwolves made them, I don't know, probably about the same in which they're a playoff team. So you're wondering, wow, you get all those picks back, but they're going to be like, Mid first rounders, maybe late first round. So I don't know what that is going to have to do. I think they realize that because they've been good. I think they're three and one at the time I'm recording this. If I can double check, let's see here. Jazz are three and one, currently six in the conference. So I decided. Well, I, with some help from some friends of mine, I was wondering what I was going to talk about this week. And uh, someone said, just do like an all, just do another like all time team. And I was like, oh, yeah, th- that's, and I could do the jazz because they've been surprising. So we're going to do that. So let's go ahead and jump into it. All right, all time jazz team. Now, I've done this episode a few times already. We've done the Heat, the Pistons, and the Lakers. So. If you haven't checked those episodes out, go and check them out. The parts with the all-prime team, I think I messed up for the Pistons and the Heat because when I realized when I did the Lakers, it was going to be like the same team, so I took a different route on it. I kept the route that I did with the Lakers for the all-prime team, and we'll get there where it's like no one from the all-time team can be on the all-prime team. Because, for, for yeah, it just didn't really make sense after I thought about it. It's just a hodgepodge of two teams. And you're just like, okay. So at some point, I might go back and redo the all-prime for Heat and Pistons. But for now, let's go with the Jazz. All-time. Point guard, who else are you going to put 
but John Stockton, the all-time leader in assists. Um, he played for almost 20 years. It was crazy because I think he and Jordan lasted the same amount of time, but Stockton didn't take breaks in between. I know Jordan played baseball, so it's not like he was just relaxing. Yeah, but 05, not 05, 85, 84-85 to 02-03. Um, really impressive. And he played 82 games almost every year. So he played, the only time he didn't play 82 games was that in 89-90, he played 78 games. And let's see here, 97-98, he played 64 and then 98-99, he played 50, which is the max that he could have because that was lockout year. So all but one, two, three, four years. No. Yeah, all but one, two, three years. He, he played every game. And... You got to think that has to be a reason why he's the number one leader in assists because he led the league one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times in a row leading the league in assists. And throughout that stretch, the least amount that he averaged was 11.2. Really impressive. He led the league in steals for one year, 91-92. He led the league in assists and steals. So really impressive there. Yeah, but Stockton, um, what was he going to say? I mean, he's literally the all-time leader, and that's a record that a lot of people think will never be broken. Like, if we just look up NBA all-time Assist numbers. Here we go. NBA.com, all-time leaders. This loads. Um, yeah, John Stockton, overall. Where, where are they? <laughs> Number two is Jason Kidd. Which... Okay, so John Stockton has 15,806. Jason Kidd is second with 12,091. He's the closest we've ever had. Chris Paul is the closest current player. He's number three on the list, and he has 11,018. That's a long way to go if you're Chris Paul. It's not like... Kareem's record where that will be broken this year. LeBron's going to break it. Just no, no question about it. LeBron's going to break it. Um, I think Solly was just like, yeah, it's, it's going to be broken. No other way around. He's got to average like 12 points. So yeah, I mean, he's got that for sure. Chris Paul is not going to break it. The next closest current player I guess it's technically Rajon Rondo and he's got seven 
1,584 in the 14th slot. Tony Parker only had 7,036. So, yeah, that record's never going to be broken again. One half of the greatest tandem in the history of the game, which we'll talk about the other half here in a minute. But John Stockton 100% needs to be there. The two slot, there's a couple guys where you, when you first think of the Jazz shooting guards, you're, it really comes to a blank, honestly, at first. Like, you're kind of like, is Jeff Hornacek the best shooting guard? Well, he was a shooting guard on their best teams. But then it was like, it's not Daryl Griffith, is it? Dr. Duncan's sign? I mean, I like him, but, I mean, that's your best point, your best shooting guard? No. It's Pistol Pete. And the fact that Pete Maravich gets so overlooked is ridiculous, in my opinion. I think that you hear stories of Pistol Pete, and it's it's unbelievable. It's kind of, I would say, a comparison to is kind of like Bo Jackson for football, right? You hear so many stories about Pete Maravich, you have no idea if they're true or not. Um, except... I think that Pete's – well, I guess he played before Bo Jackson was in football. But the thing with Bo Jackson is a lot of those stories come from his childhood where you hear stories where you're like, hey, I I guess it happened. Um, with with Pistol Pete, it was just like th- this happened during his career. Because like when he played in Atlanta and also like New Orleans when he was with the New Orleans Jazz and then Utah um, – and then he was like in Boston for a little bit. He there, there wasn't a lot of coverage, even though Pistol Pete was one of the best players in the league at the time. But yeah, it's one of those things where he deserves more credit. And two is, and I mean, he only played I think ten years, and it's kind of eerie how it went down because I think at one point. Uh, he said, I'm going to play for 10 years and then, I don't know, probably die young or something like that. It was just something crazy. And then, like, he he played 10 years and then died young. And he was just so good, a really good shooter, but also just crafty. No, Like, from what you hear, it is he's one of the craftier players that we've ever seen and there's like no film it's unbelievable like and it goes in that for a lot of the younger not younger a lot of the first nba stars there's not much film on them i mean the only time it was really filmed i think it was like for the finals because like wilt's 100 is not filmed there is zero film on it um, like the only film we there's a ton of Bill Russell because he played in the finals a lot, but for him, for Pete, there's not a lot, which is weird to say because he started, he was drafted in 1970. I mean, he came in a year after Kareem did, and yet there's just still not a lot of them. I mean, he made a couple Sports Illustrated covers, I think, or maybe just one while in the NBA. I know he had one when he was in college. But, um, 
Yeah, but he only played one year in in uh, Utah. He played half a year in Utah. But he was on the New Orleans Jazz, and he led the league in scoring for the 76-77 season. Also led the league in minutes per game at 41.7. He scored 31.1 points. So Pistol Pete, for me, had to be on this list. Um, again, if you haven't seen anything on Pistol Pete, try and look it up. I know there's not a ton of video on it, but there's a lot of really good books. Um, so, yeah, pick one of those up. Small forward, Adrian Dantley. Um, I don't know if it was just because, like, I he went to Notre Dame and I'm from Indiana, so I just, like, Sure, we'll go. <laughs> but he was really good. Um, in his career, he averaged 24.3 points. While he was in Utah, he led the league in scoring twice, each scoring 30. Um, there was, when he got to Utah, this is when he really started exploding. His first year in Utah, 28, and then he doesn't dip under 30 for four more years where he gets 26.6. Then he goes right back to 29.8. And that's his last year in Utah. And I think, and again, it's weird with Utah because there's not a lot of press on Utah until you get to the 90s when they're really good and they're going to the finals. But I think a lot of people, when they think Adrian Dantley, they think, excuse me, they think, um, think of Detroit. Even though he, the only thing they had in Detroit was that, I mean, he scored 20 points, but he's mainly like, oh, he, he's who they traded to get Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire is when it really took off. Uh, Kind of. I mean, still 88. I mean, that was his last year. He was on the team for 88, 89, but that's when they traded him. So, you know, Adrian Dantley is just... One of the best scorers around and just kind of got overshadowed. I mean, it was the 80s. There's a lot of great scores in the 80s that got overshadowed. Like Alex English is one that comes to mind immediately for me. And he was someone who I thought should have been an NBA 75 member because he led the lead. He led the entire decade of, of the 80s in scoring. Adrian Danley was, like, right under Alex English in terms of scoring like that. I mean, honestly. And, yeah, it just it made too much sense to me for him to be in the starting lineup. All right, forward. You've heard me talk about this guy before. I don't like him as a person. But, man, he's a really good player. And, um... Yeah, if you again, if you have not heard anything on Carl Malone, look it up. And like you'll just figure it out for yourself uh how bad of a guy he is. But an incredible player on the court, second half of the greatest tandem ever. He is now number three all time in scoring because LeBron is now number two. Um he's the mailman. Part him and Stockton were part of the dream team. Um, yeah, so Carl Malone is the power forward. That's all I'm going into it on him. 
Now, center was interesting because when I was first thing that came to mind when I think of a jazz center is Mark Eaton. And I looked at Eaton. He was fine, but he the most he averaged was 9.7 points. He only got above seven points per game four times. And I mean, his career was only 10 years long. But that's still like, man, I want, I don't really like that for a starting all time center. So then it, it got kind of clear to me it was Rudy Gobert as the starting center on his team. <clears throat> An absolute rim protector, um, a guy who. When you're on defense, I mean, he's just your go-to. I mean, come on, he's what, like a three-time defensive player of the year winner? And, three, yeah, three-time defensive player of the year. Six-time all-defensive, 2017 block champion. And in 2022, he got the total rebounding champion. So, to me, it was Rudy Gobert. Excuse me, as the outright best center for this Jazz team. And at first I was like, man, I I don't really want to do it because part of me is like, man, this is like to kind of represent like what came before. But at the same time, it's like this is like an all-time team and Rudy Gobert is by far the best center that they've had, in my opinion. So... I'm sticking with it. Gotta go Rudy Gobert. It was either that or uh, we'll get into the second. We'll get into the second option <laughs> later. Six man. I really like Gordon Hayward. Just because, I mean, he was like their, one of their first all-stars in a, a long while when he became an all-star in Utah. And I know that ever since Boston... And that ankle injury hasn't been the same. But people forget Gordon Hayward was a go-to guy when he was in Utah. That's why he got so much money to go to Boston. And Gordon Hayward is just one of the better stories I think you could talk about. Now, I mean, you can talk about stuff that he's done after Boston and that and how it's kind of a rise and fall. But um, Gordon Hayward, coming from Brownsburg, Indiana, won his high school team a state championship at the buzzer. And then he goes on the butler to where he brings them to prominent, to national prominence. Him, Brad Stevens as their head coach, Matt Howard, Shelvin Mack. I mean, he... And in his sophomore year, he takes them to the national championship game, and they lose by an inch, a literal inch that he missed from a half-court almost buzzer beater. So, and then he goes to the NBA, and he gets picked uh, ninth overall. Right? Because uh, Paul George was 10. When I was watching that draft as a Pacers fan, I really wanted – Hayward to follow the Pacers because that would have been awesome. But we got Paul George. Not going to complain. 
Yeah, but with Gordon Hayward, um, the whole Butler thing, then him becoming an all-star after being in part of a team that was from one of the smaller schools that probably exists in Division One basketball. And, yeah, Gordon Hayward is, in my opinion, second best small forward. We'll put him back up small forward for the Jazz. Second coming off the bench, I got Dom and Mitchell. I mean, the bench, there's no particular order, really. I mean, like the first five are off the bench are my backups. So I have Donovan Mitchell coming in. I mean, he was just good. There's no other way around it. I mean, as a rookie, he took your team to the playoffs because, I mean, he was a lottery pick, so he didn't make the playoffs. He takes you to the playoffs, and then you beat the Thunder, who at that time had Paul George, Russell Westbrook, and Carmelo Anthony. Then him in the bubble going up against uh, Jamal Murray is one of the more entertaining things in basketball I think I've ever seen. He's just good. No way around it. And I like him as the second best shooting guard. Backup power forward. I had Carlos Boozer. I mean, he was I I kind of forget what Boozer did in Utah. I almost forgot he played in Utah because for some reason when I hear Carlos Boozer, I think of the Cavs and then the Bulls, and then that's kind of it. But he spent a majority of his career with the Jazz, where he, I mean, that's the reason he got to the Bulls was because he was so good in Utah. And and then he went to L.A., and then that, bro, that like, fell apart, which should have been expected. But yeah, I had Carlos Boozer. I mean, he's just really, he was really good for them. And... When when it comes to here's the thing when it comes to places like Utah, I think I talked about this in the Detroit episode, but Detroit is like one of those half um, market places. When it's a market like Utah, no one really wants to go. When they go there, get drafted, or traded, or it's a place that's gonna offer them the most money. But like big stars, they're not gonna willfully go to Utah. So when they get Carlos Boozer, he does really good. And then that's why he's second best power forward, just because no one no one like Anthony Davis is going to come in to Utah. I mean, nothing against Utah. It's just the way it is. Trust me, I've been a Pacers fan all my life. <laughs> I know how it is. People do not want to come to Indiana, like, under their own will, just because... It's called Naptown for a reason by NBA players. All they do when they come to Indy is that they take naps. I understand because, well, Indy is a good city. I love Indy. It's a great sports city, and the fact that um, it's called Naptown is kind of ridiculous, but when compared to places like New York and L.A. and Miami, I get it. But it's just like no... Star is going to come to Indy to play for the Pacers. Like, our best players have been guys that we've drafted. 
Reggie Miller, we drafted. Luckily, he stayed around. Could have went to L.A. I think he almost went to the Lakers at one point because he's from L.A. Paul George, he was really good for us. We drafted him. But then he's like, I want to go to L.A. And we're like, all right, we'll send you to OKC. And then it took him like two years to get to L.A. So it was places like this where you either trade for the guys or you draft them and they're going to be your best players. That's the way it is. Backup center. People might laugh at me. I don't know. But when you look at the numbers, the numbers do not lie about this guy. And like I said, Mark Eaton only averaged, like, at most nine points a game. I'm going with <laughs> – this sounds so ridiculous. Mehmet Okur. And if you don't know Mehmet Okur, um, I don't blame you. I remember – he was one of the first guys that I would pull a basketball card for. It would be Mehmet Okur. If you don't know, he's out of Turkey. His nickname is Memo or the Money Man. He's a 2004 champion with the Pistons, a one-time All-Star. And for his career, he averaged 13.5.7 rebounds and almost two assists. So... I think a lot of people think of Memo Curry. I think of the last couple of years where he just wasn't that great. Like when his last year in Utah and then he went to New Jersey. Um, there were, I mean, in 05, 06, he averaged 18 points. And then in 06, 07, he averaged 17.6. So, I don't know if he's the best defender. I would think that people would assume that if he is from Europe, he can't. He's kind of soft. But if you're averaging, if you put up 18 points a game in the NBA, I don't think you're that soft, really. So I have Mehmet Okur as backup center. Backup point guard, I have Darren Williams. And people forget how just how good Darren Williams was when he got traded to the Nets, and they had to, the Nets gave up um, Derek Favors and a couple other guys. Like, Derek Favors was their, was their number three overall pick in the draft. So they were giving up quite a bit of their future to get Darren Williams. He was that good. The con- There was, looking back, this conversation doesn't really make sense, but it was a real conversation that was taking place was who is better, Darren Williams or Chris Paul. And Rajon Rondo was a little, was a little in that conversation, but he came, he came in a little late. Um, Darren Williams was really in that conversation, and it was even a conversation when they were going to the draft, when Darren Williams led Illinois to a national championship game. They lost to Carolina. Like, that was a serious conversation. And so, Chris Paul obviously wins that conversation now. But back then, it wasn't that clear. So, to me, it just makes too much sense. Darren Williams, and I know people, I, again, it's one of those things where people think of the most recent version we've seen. When he was on the Cavs and then on the Mavericks, he wasn't good. Did we really expect him to be good, though? Like, when he was on that Cavs team, did we really think, oh, man, Derek Williams, gonna, Darren Williams is going to make a big difference? 
I don't think I did. I mean, I may have just as like a joke, but I really don't think that I thought that he was going to do anything. So, Darren Williams to me is back up point guard. Number 11, just as a couple more guys, I had Daryl Griffith, Dr. Duncan Stein, or Duncan Steen, I don't know. I'll go with Stein. Um, really good player. I think he made a, an all-star. And he was just, I mean, he only played 10 years. Of, okay, he wasn't an all-star. He was rookie of the year, though, um, out of Louisville. And, you know, had an injury like halfway through his career. but it, And that injury really derailed him. I mean, here's his, before the injury, he averaged 20.6 points. Nine, these are all in points. 19.8, 22.2, 20 flat, and then 22.6. After the injury in 85, 86, he averaged 15, 11.3, 13.8, 8.9, and 5.7. So, if you were to say... That, well, you know, before the injury, he was on his way to becoming the best shooting guard. Probably. But we do have to look into that. And this is all assuming that these guys are all in their prime. So Daryl Griffith's like an 11th man. Not bad. And then number 12 have AK-47 himself, Andre Karolinko, who, believe it or not, was actually a really high-producing scorer, if I can spell Andre right, Andre Karolinko, over his career average 11.8. But, I mean, in Utah, he only fell below 10 points per game once, and that was in 06-07 when he had 8.3. So, I mean, he was, he's not, like, the most best outright scorer. But still looks he still was pretty good, a really good role player. I mean, that's what you want in your 12th spot. I mean, he's barely going to get minutes. So that's the all-time team. The all-prime team, though, let's – it's interesting. Because, like I said, no one willfully wants to go to Utah, especially when they're, like, an all-NBA player. So, finding those guys who it's like, this guy was, is someone who you wouldn't think play for the Jazz is very tough. It took me a couple run-throughs of the entire um, history of the Jazz players for me to find some. So, starting point guard, I have Mike Conley. Again, this is probably because he's from, he went to Indiana. Uh, He's is he from Indy? Because I know that Greg Oden was born in New York, but he played at Lawrence North with Mike Conley. I think Conley is, is he from Tennessee. He's from Arkansas, but he went to high school at Lawrence North in Indianapolis. Um, one of the best teams in the state's history. I mean, him and Greg Oden is just out of <laughs> it's just out of nowhere insane. Um, so I had Mike Conley. Really good in Memphis, just never was able to crack an all-star team. And I never understood. He made one all-star in which it was in 2020. So he wasn't even, it was when he was in Utah, he made an all-star team. 
but he never cracked the all-star team, and I didn't understand it because, well, I kind of understood it because, I mean, the league is full of really good point guards, but Mike Conley was always consistent. He was always consistently good, and he led those grit-and-grind Memphis teams to success. And no one ever gave him recognition for it. So, I I put Mike Conley in there. That's This is my recognition for him. Shooting guard, Joe Johnson. He, he played in Utah there for a little bit. Um, someone who I think, people again, people think of a later version. They think of, wow, he got traded to uh, Brooklyn. They didn't do anything. Yeah, he was kind of old when he went there too, so just forget about it. But when he was in Brooklyn, though, he did cross over Paul Pierce. Remember that. Paul Pierce was also like 35 and it happened. So I'm going to take it what take away you will. So I have Joe Johnson there. Really good scorer. Small forward Bernard King, Bernard King played for the Jazz at one point. Um, hey, you want to talk good scorer? Bernard King was phenomenal, especially when he was in New York. But even like in his older years when he was in Washington, he was still making all-star teams. So, yeah, Bernard King is definitely the, on this team. Uh, power forward Spencer Haywood talked about him. I think I talked about him in the Lakers episode, and I talked about him a couple weeks ago when talking about the Lakers documentary. Spencer Haywood is one of the best scorers that no one ever talks about. I mean, he was just one of those guys who he did so much, but he was on so many teams that didn't really work out to where no one really talked about him. But he is up there, trust me. Center, there wasn't a lot of centers. I had Daryl Dawkins. I mean, he started in the finals against the Blazers, so I had him in there. Chocolate Thunder, probably break a couple backboards. Um, Number six, Tom Chambers. Just, again, a, a really good scorer, and he's someone who is important in NBA history because he was the first ever unrestricted free agent. He somehow worked it out on his contract where he didn't have to be restricted. So there's that. Tom Chambers, again, really good player, especially when he was in Phoenix and then also in Seattle, really good. Uh, Derek Fisher as my backup point guard. He's solid. I mean, there's no other way around. I mean, he was on all those championship teams in L.A. I mean, he's just rock solid. Number eight, backup shooting guard, Gail Goodrich. There wasn't a lot of backup shooting guards I could find that would fit for this team, but Gail Goodrich was really good when he needed to be. So I threw him in there. Number nine, Kelly Trapuca, another Notre Dame guy. He was my backup small forward. Um, I was kind of surprised to see Kelly Trapuca's averages throughout his career. I mean, it was really good in 82 to 1981, 82 to 90, uh, 1991, because last year he played in France. He averaged 17.2 points per game. There was one season average 26 and a half. He only fell below 10 points once, I mean twice. And one of them was his last year in the NBA. So, yeah, I threw in Kelly Trapuca. Backup center, Hassan Whiteside, 
um, was on the Jazz at one point. So I threw him in there. That's he's a pretty good uh, center. He might actually get a starting spot on this. Oh, how many high schools did Hassan Whiteside go to? I'm on his basketball reference, and it's listing like a ton. Yeah, but he's in Utah last year, so threw him in there. But his high schools, he has one, two, three, four, five, six high schools. Man, and then he went to Marshall. So six high schools gets you to Marshall. Ugh, I don't know about that. Um, so, yeah, I have Son Whiteside. Um. Another guy I threw in, Paul Millsap. He was, he could have been backup power forward. He may fight for that spot with Tom Chambers. Um, he was pretty good in Utah, but then he played well enough to where he got a big contract in Atlanta. So we have him in there. He. Yeah, he didn't make his all-star teams until Atlanta, and then he got four in a row. So, yeah, Paul Millsap, I had to throw him in there. And the number 12, Mark Jackson, played for the Jazz there for a little bit. So let's go ahead and see. I don't even know what he did in Utah. While in Utah, it was his second to last year, and he had 4.7 points. Probably four assists. Yep. And, yeah. So, not the best, but overall, Mark Jackson was pretty good. So, threw him in there. And that's the all-prime lineup. So, a quick recap. For the all-time Jazz team, we have starting John Stockton, Pete Maravich, Adrian Dantley, Carl Malone, and Rudy Gobert. And then off the bench, you have Gordon Hayward, Donovan Mitchell, Carlos Boozer, Mehmet Okur, Darren Williams, Daryl Griffith, and Andre Karolinko. For the all-prime team, starters are Mike Conley, Joe Johnson, Bernard King, Spencer Haywood, and Daryl Dawkins. And coming off the bench, you have Tom Chambers, Derek Fisher, Gail Goodrich, Kelly Trapuca, Hassan Whiteside, Paul Millsap, and Mark Jackson. So, with that, that will be it for this week's episode. I want to thank you for listening. Just be sure to follow me on Twitter at DEverhard00, and I'll talk to you next week. Peace. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.